0: It's the only place that we should find ourselves boasting in, the cross of Christ. And that's what we'll talk about here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Paul tells us in Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't first receive? So why do you act as if it was yours to begin with? In other words, what he is saying is anything and everything that we have, any, any abilities that we might have, are those that have been given to us by God. So why would we boast in it as if it's ours? And that takes us to Galatians 6, where we are learning today that our only boast is in the cross of Christ. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Won't you join us? Again, it's another look at our only boast Found in the cross of Christ Here's Pastor Phil.:
1: I went to South Carolina, and I hang out at a university back there on vacation, and I buy books, stay at the library, love it. And uh, while I was there, I always go to the preaching department in universities that are Christians, say, "What are you using for preaching books?" And they say, "Oh, ah, Brian Chapel, President of Covenant Seminary, Christ-centered preaching. I said, sure, I'd never heard of the guy. Got the book, bought it in 2005. Couldn't lay it down. And uh, his debate is that much of so-called preaching in churches is not Christian. There's no Christ. There's no crucified Savior. It's a lot of uh, moralisms. It's a lot of nice stuff. It's how to have a good family. You can have a good family and be lost. Mormons can teach you how to have a good family, they do pretty good at it. Or, to quote Jay Adams in his book, if you could preach it at the synagogue, you obviously didn't preach anything that was Christian because they wouldn't allow you to preach if you brought Christ into it. And as I read Brian Chapel, I was haunted by a story that he tells in his book. And by, I was taught to preach the Bible and I was taught to do exegesis, which means you find out what the original words mean. You find out their literal meaning, their historical meaning, their contextual setting. It's called hermeneutics. And... Uh, You better be sure what's said to Israel, what's said to the church, and a lot of stress on proper exegesis. What I was never taught was to look for Christ in every verse. Because the whole Bible is redemptive history. Three R's describe the Bible for the regenerate. Ruin, redemption, regeneration. And no matter where you cut the Bible, we're in the path towards a coming Redeemer... Or the Redeemer has come and we're looking back at what he accomplished. So no matter where you cut it, I don't care if you're in the exodus and the rock is leading them out there and feeding them, you ought to take it to Christ. Let me tell you one of the pitiful things happening in our literature. My wife bemoans it with children. We teach the children the story of David and Goliath. Okay, story over. Uh, A smaller boy wins and beats the giant. Great. Great. That, that isn't great. That is appalling. What's Christian about that? Where's Christ in that? Why don't you say what David said? I cannot deliver Israel from its greatest enemy by myself. But the God of Abraham that I know, he can deliver by little or few, I'm but a little Jewish boy. And I'm going to use what skill I've got. I'm going to throw this rock. But I want you to know, Goliath and Philistine people that want to destroy Israel, there is a mightier power unleashed in the earth besides a little boy taking care of sheep. My God can deliver Israel from her enemies, for my God is my Redeemer, Christ. Now, there's going to be a greater battle fought. History is coming. I'm only a signpost to a greater deliverer. He shall walk in the valley of the shadow. He will be outnumbered by the Gentile world, the Jewish world. And he will step into the valley of Gethsemane and Golgotha. And there he will defeat our greatest enemy, Satan himself. He will do it not just by the strength of being a 33-year-old man. He will do it because he is the mighty God, the Redeemer, Deliverer of Israel. That's what David points to. That's what it points to. And we've got all this Bible teaching over here. We, all we learn about is the rock. Or, or we learn about, well, you honor, you honor your mother and father. Well, that's nice, but it won't save you. That's why right, there's little conversions in our churches. We're not preaching enough Christ to choke a gnat. We're preaching moralisms. We're preaching that we're always trying to preach something, trying to fix up you saints. Because I was also told this: you don't preach the gospel to saints. Only done believers. What a lie! The gospel is the whole book of Romans. It's not just Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That is the seminal gospel. The whole implications of the gospel is the whole book of Romans. Gospel is how God saves you, sanctifies you, keeps you, leads you, fills you with the Spirit. All the work of the Spirit, all of that's tied with the gospel of being saved. It's not just I raised my hand in junior church gospel is Romans. I'm ready to preach it again. Because churchmen need the book of Romans. They need the good news in their struggle. Not to start all over, but what are the implications of the gospel in a saint that's been walking with God 25 years? Listen to what uh, Brian Chappell said. Teaches uh, preaching classes at Covenant Seminary. He said, unless we identify the redemptive purposes in a text, it is possible to say all the right words and yet send all the wrong signals. I witness this miscommunication almost daily on the top rated radio station in our city that broadcast a morning meditation. Each morning the preacher addresses some topic with a Bible verse or two. The subjects run the gamut from procrastination. Now you know that's going to bother unbelievers. To parenting to honesty on the job. The station turns up the reverberation whenever this preacher speaks so that it sounds as though the words are coming right from Mount Sinai. Not to pay attention seems like a sin. I would guess that few even question the content of the man's words as he reminds us from the Bible to practice punctuality, good parenting, and business propriety I realize a hundred thousand motorists are nodding their heads and saying in unison, that's right. That's how we should live. I have even played the tapes of this preacher's meditation to seminary classes and asked if anyone can discern error in what he says. Rarely does anyone spot a problem. The preacher quotes his text accurately. He advocates moral causes and he encourages loving behaviors. The problem that I point out to students and that is carefully hidden from the broadcast audience is that the radio preacher is not a Christian. He represents a large cult headquartered in our region. But we've gotten so used to moralisms without Christ that even a cultic teacher can teach and us applaud it. Because you don't have to have Christ. We've got used to him not being in the sermons. We've got used to it. So a cult is able... To captivate an audience by speaking on procrastination. Punctuality. Feels good. No offense. No offense. Spurgeon, I don't have time to quote him. I've got the quote. He spoke of his day. He said, friend, let me tell you why there are a few conversions going on in London. He said, I could point to you, the churches in London, with a tear in my eye. They teach high doctrine. They teach great doctrine. But they preach no Christ and nobody gets saved. But they're all basking in being so right. Then I could take you to other churches in London that they preach practice, 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 practice practice, but no Christ. And he said, there's no conversions, for they cannot keep up the practice, but it sounds Christian. It sounds nice. He said, but we have been preaching Christ in these slums for now some -some 30-some-odd years, and every category of sinner keeps being saved, 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 for he says, the liberals cannot talk me out of this one theme. I will glory only in the cross. Only in the cross. Now, why does he glory in the cross? Let me give you four reasons. And somebody break that clock up there. It's a nightmare. It's a guillotine right now. I don't want to stop. Um, First of all, let's just begin here. The cross is where God bore my curse. Chapter 3, verse 13. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ died upon a tree that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. I will glory in the place where my God bore my curse to redeem me from a legal system I could not keep. When this old Jewish rabbi converted by the grace of God, he said, I I will glory in the fact that my God was executed for me. That my God, in his execution, paid a price to redeem me out from the curse of the law. For redemption always demands a price. And he said in Matthew twenty twenty eight, for the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom is to pay a price to unloose you. He paid the unloosing price i will glory not in being circumcised the eighth day jeremiah 9 says there's coming a day when israel's heart will be circumcised and not just their foreskin i will glory i have a god that would hang on a tree for me there was an american judge who had to handle a case, but the case was a lifelong boyhood friend. The case demanded a fine, not, not jail time, but a fine. And those in the courtroom who knew the relationship between the judge and the accused were stunned when the judge threw the full weight of the law and demanded the highest payment possible. But once the sentence had been recorded by the court clerk, the judge asked if he could step down from the bench and then he walked over to the clerk and paid the debt. Let the full weight of the law fall on the criminal and our God is the righteous judge of the universe but he's the only one that could step off the bench and pay the debt. He did that on a tree called a cross. I will glory in the cross. The most important chapter of the whole New Testament, I think, is Romans 3, 24 through 26, where those who had their mouths zipped up because they could not keep the law, in verse 20, he, they hear this resounding thing, but now a righteousness testified to by the law and the prophets has come, a righteousness not by law, but by faith alone. For God hath redeemed us by making his son the satisfactory, propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. So that we now are declared right before God on the basis of God's anger being satisfied at the cross. God vented his anger on my sin at Calvary. God poured out his wrath on me at the cross. God judged me. God paid all of my sins in a substitute. And that quivering body bears my guilt and divine wrath against my sin. He bore it. It was a lonely day on Calvary. It was a dark day. But God the Father was satisfied with what happened. So much so that he says in Colossians, at the cross, he spoiled principalities and powers that accused and sought to capture and damn my soul. And he spoiled them having taken the handwriting of ordinances, broken commandments that I had committed, and nailed it to his cross. Everything I've ever done wrong was nailed to the cross, and divine penalty fell on it. Now, there's something about it. Many times when a prisoner had served his term what the jailer would do on the day he was released, he would give him this handbill of all the offenses and said, we see here you've done uh, armed robbery. Uh, you stole this. You did that. You did that. You'd have it all. And then after the time was fulfilled, at the bottom, he would write in Greek, ta, epsilon, ta, epsilon, lobda, epsilon, sta, uh, ta, alpha, iota, teta, Lesti. perfect tense. And it meant paid in full. And so when you went out on the street and somebody saw you, you said, hey man, I thought you were serving time. Oh, I was. Hey, did you break out? No, no, I pay, I, I pay my debt. How did you show them the jailer's sheet with all the charges and the little signature, teta, lestai. Catalesti was what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. It is paid in full. What's paid in full? All the offenses of the handwritings against me were paid in full when my God was executed in my place. I will glory. In my conversion, it's glorious. But not to be compared. I will glory in my suffering. Oh, of course, I couldn't even have such folly. I've suffered nothing. In my pedigree, what a joke. I have none. Paul did. In my exceeding great knowledge, another joke. You see, with a poor beggar sinner like me, the only thing you can give me, since I'm not endowed with the great things of a Paul, but give me a crucified Christ and I can boast. My God died for me. My God picked up my offenses and fully was the scapegoat that bore them out of the camp. According to the word of God, and I stop here, I have irrefutable proof that my God loves me. And the love letter was written at the cross. For John said in 1 John four ten. This is the love of God, that he would love us and give himself as a propitiation for us. I love to use the biblical words. We can get rid of propitiation. We say satisfaction. You know why I say propitiation? We don't change all the vocabulary in the world to accommodate you. Learn the word. Propitiate. God completely satisfied with a payment. That's not too hard, is it? I love it. It's completely paid. For God so loved the world that he said, that a boy, keep trying harder. That a boy, don't learn to procrastinate. Have a good family and have good kids. No, no, no. God so loved me that he gave up something for me. And according to Romans 8, he would not spare. I love the word that you must say. He spared not. He spared not. He spared not his only son. Abraham, there was a ram in the thicket for you, but for the God the Father, there was no ram. There was only his son. You ought to just sometimes study at least the 50 things the cross did for you. I was redeemed there. God was satisfied there. I was reconciled to God there. God so, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet weak and ungodly, without strength, Christ died for us. What will I glory in? And I must say in the church. I am amazed at how much church and how many of you Christians do not glory in the cross. That Christ becomes peripheral in much of church life. He's only the tail on the donkey. He's not central in your heart nor in this church. You can get in love with being a usher. Get in love with being a pastor. Get in love with this. Get in love with counting the money. Get in love with having an opinion. When has Christ become the center of your heart and your life and you pant for him? Are, are we such? It's an interesting thing to me. That church history ends with Laodicea, a God who has a rich fat cat bunch inside and a God at the door knocking. Now, you remember inside they were saying, we're rich, we're full, we don't need a thing. And there's a faint knock, and the knock is the head of the church says, I see you as naked. I see you as poor. I see you still needing me. But you've peripheralized me over here. I'm outside. I don't even run the church. I'm not in your board meetings. I'm not in your worship services. You just come down here. with a little religious itch. For I am not. You'd rather fight over a doctrine than to tell me how much you love him. You'd rather fight over our music than you would to tell me how he's broken your heart in devotions this week. As you wept at his feet of what a magnificent lion lamb. As I read Jonathan Edwards' sermon on the excellency of Christ, he said, he's the lion lamb. He's a lion to your enemies. He can keep them away, but he's a lamb to those who trust him. Tender, meek Jesus, but for the devil, I've got a lion that's made me his own. And he can, the lion of Judah can handle the devil and all your enemies. I will glory. One thing, and I, I have been in repentance for Two years about my own empty preaching and about my lack of Christ, I'm asking God at 63, if he lets me preach at least seven more years, I'm going to do my best to make up for how much Christ I've not preached. I apologize. I've preached so many things without enough Jesus. And it breaks my heart that I've, that I've missed him so much in preaching. I can clean the house up. I'm a strong exhorter. I love the imperatives. I can get you guilty in a minute. I know how to beat you up quick with the word. I know the imperatives. I know the grief, and I know your frailty. And I hear the shepherd say, could you tell my people I love them? Could you tell my people that I miss them? Could you tell my people... They've given their love and devotion to cheaper things. It's their ministry where they get to teach, where they get to preach. It's all about them, about them. And the church has become nauseatingly full of the flesh. I'm asking God for me, whether it's here or if I ever start anywhere else. The burning passion, because I've been indicted by this book two years ago, It's the poverty of Christ. I am not surprised no one's saved when you teach. I'm not surprised that not many get saved when we preach around here or the staff. We don't preach enough Jesus to get saved hardly. He is the lost jewel of the church, the head, the head. And Colossians says you must hold the head up as preeminent. May you give us a second chance, Lord. May you help us to repent. Don't let us be in love with singing. Don't let us be in love with preaching. Don't let us be in love with buildings, in love with ourselves. Some way, get us back to Calvary. Get us back to as long as it promotes him, I'll be satisfied. And in the personal lives of these believers, perhaps Christ has become peripheral. He's an add-on Savior. He's a rabbit's foot. But he's not central. Would you forgive us of our backsliding, our stupidity, our misdirected focus and get us back on one boast? I will boast only in the cross of Christ. Amen.
0: And once again, we've come to the end of our time together here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we lock things up for another day of broadcasting, we do so with a a way to contact us here at Truth For Today. If you have a question, a prayer request, comment, we would love to pray for you. If you have a praise report about how the program is encouraging you in Christ, we'd love to hear that as well. A couple of ways to reach out to us. The easiest, of course, our phone number, 855-833-9864, or our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, you have another way to reach out to us, and that is, especially if you have a question or a praise report, that you would like Pastor Phil to answer Well, simply take your voice memo app on that smartphone of yours, record your question along with who you are and where you're calling from, and then email that bit of audio to us at tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, the email address is tftquestions at valleybible.org. So email that to us, we'll run it by Pastor Phil, and should we use it on the radio, we'll even let you know when. And as always, you can again reach out to us at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. You can also write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you partner with us financially, bear in mind that we are able to continue this radio ministry through you doing just that, joining other friends and family members of this ministry to ensure that this program continues its ministry in the greater Bay Area. Please consider that as you reach out to us, and then join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Highland.